This is perhaps the most empowering verse in the New Testament for you and for me. Welcome to iHope. We're here to bring encouragement and comfort from the Bible so that you can have a more hope-filled life. We are so glad you joined us here today, and we invite you to embark on this journey of discovery of the power of God's Word and how it can shape our lives each day. So listen in and join us as we explore how the Bible can provide hope and direction in our lives. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to I Hope. It is Charlie again, and we are in our third installment in our series through October on the epistles. Now, these are letters, of course, that Paul wrote to either churches or to individuals, and today we're looking at a verse that he wrote to a young man named Titus. Now, this is perhaps the most empowering verse in the New Testament for you and for me, and let me show you why. Now, before I can, I need to give you a little bit of background, and then we'll jump into the verse itself, and we'll break it down and explain how it helps you and me to live empowered lives as Christians ourselves. But first, the background. So, if you've been in our Sunday morning study over the last several months, then you would remember that we've gone through the book of Titus, we went verse by verse, and we broke down how Titus was the pastor on the island of Crete, and he was kind of the pastor over pastors. Paul had left him there. Uh, several months before, basically to not just start the church, but to help the church to scale and multiply. It was an idea of a small town church. So you have little groups of churches here and there. You have a plurality of elders. That means multiple pastors, which elder and pastor in the Bible mean the same thing. Uh, So does bishop, by the way, just in case you didn't know. And Paul had left Titus on the island of Crete, which was kind of a pirate city, a pirate island, And they were a terrible group of people, basically. In fact, you would be known, if you paid attention on Sunday mornings, you know this, but uh, you'd be known as a Cretan if you were a liar. And so Titus had his work cut out for him. And Paul gave Titus the job of finding other pastors to put over those people who would be in the churches. Now, of course, back in that time, uh, house churches were very common. And so for them to have a house church with just a handful of people and a pastor over just that small group, that would be very common. It's a little bit different than our church model for today where many groups come together to be one corporate body in one big church building. It's a little bit different. So Titus had to do this. And in so doing, he also had to pastor the church there, which was at Crete. And while he was there, while he was still trying to raise up new Uh, new pastors, new elders, he was supposed to preach the gospel. And Paul gave him these instructions. He said in Titus chapter 2 verse 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now he would go through what are the things that are becoming of sound doctrine. And he finishes up in verse 11. He sums it all up into these words. He says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Which, by the way, that implies that everyone is able to be saved, not just those that God hand-selects to be saved and he damns the rest of society to hell. That's not how that works. God says that he provides grace for all men. He provides salvation to all men. It's up to us whether we accept that or not. So he says, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, that's not anything special. If you've gotten the gospel, it is clear to you that you should live a life that is godly, a life that's different than the rest of the world who does not know Jesus. 
But then he describes what that looks like. Verse 13. Verse 13, he says this. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What does that mean? He says that we're supposed to be looking for that blessed hope. Now, what is the difference in hope and faith? Well, hope seems to be the object of our faith. It is something that we desire to come to pass. Now, can you hope for things that don't happen? Absolutely. But the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that our hope is placed in something better than than just a whim or just a desire. It's placed in the desire for our king to come rule over us, for our savior to remove us from sin, and for our redeemer to remove us from a fallen world. That is the hope that blessed hope which we should be looking for. And the vehicle by which it will arrive is the vehicle of the appearing of Jesus Christ, which means that we should be looking for Jesus's return because it is the the consummation of our hope. Why is that freeing though? Hey everybody, it's Charlie, and you already know that we had nothing to sell you. We don't run any ads on our podcast, and the only ask that we could ever have is for you to leave a review, to share, or to rate our show. So this is all because we want to help other Christians have a better relationship with God's Word, and the best way that you can help us with that is just to leave a review. It takes about 10 seconds. You don't have to pause the show or anything, and it costs you nothing. So leave a review. Let's get back to the show. What does that mean to you and to me? He says this in verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now, obviously, Paul was writing to Titus. So Titus was to preach these things. But if you sum up everything that Paul told Titus to teach, it was the gospel. And it was what the gospel looks like when it's lived out. Which means that you and I, who also have the calling to share the gospel, maybe not, maybe you're not a pastor, maybe you're not a teacher even, but you probably have a family. You probably have friends who don't know Jesus. And so you can teach, you can speak, you can exhort, and you can rebuke with these things with all authority if you understand the gospel. Because God did not hide truth from you and from me. God made the Bible clear. He made it understandable. The gospel is understandable. And because of that, we can clearly communicate what is clearly written. And we should be able to, not only should we be able to, but we should communicate these things to the world around us, to your family, to your friends. Fathers, teach your children these things. Mothers, teach your children these things. Raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Husbands and wives, remind each other that you are both, as our church credo is, recipients of God's grace, serving recipients of God's grace. And on those days when you're not perfect, remember that and teach these things. Rebuke when necessary. Exhort, which means encourage with these things. All of this is your responsibility and my responsibility. But here's the cool part. We can do it with authority. Now, do you remember what set Jesus' teaching apart from that of the scribes and the Pharisees? The scribes and Pharisees historically would actually reject authority. They would say, I did not learn this myself, but I learned it from, and they would name somebody. 
And then if you were a well-studied scribe or Pharisee, or at least listener, then you would know that that is the son of him, and he's the son of him, and, and so on the list goes. And this is like 100, 200 years ago, somebody discovered this in Bible in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and so now I can teach this today. They would reject authority. In fact, the farther back in time the lesson would go or the discovery of the Bible would be made, the more authority you had to stand on because it wasn't your authority. It was something that was longstanding. It was traditionalism. It was, I don't know anything myself, but I learned this from so-and-so. And it's not bad to learn things from people, but what Jesus did was he spoke as one having authority. He didn't speak as one who just learned it from someone else who did have authority. He spoke it because he had authority. And Paul told Titus, when you're speaking the gospel, speak it with authority. And for you and for me, this is freeing because we don't have to cower in fear when we say something with the gospel. We don't have to wonder whether it's an accepted message or not, or whether we're overstepping our bounds, or whether we're speaking truth, if you're speaking truth. Speak the gospel, teach the gospel, rebuke with the gospel, with authority. And that means for your family relationships, that means in church, that means to one another, Christian to Christian, and that even means to witness to people with authority. So no longer do you have to hide. No longer do you have to wonder whether you're doing what's right. No longer do you need to wonder whether you have the authority or not to speak on behalf of God, not in a prophetic sense, not in a woozy sense, but to speak what God has said, to speak the gospel, and to speak that truth into the lives of those around you. So, that is Titus chapter 2. Speak these things, exhort these things, rebuke with all authority, and let no man despise thee. Hope you have a great week, and I hope it is full of you communicating the gospel to those around you. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you've been encouraged by I Hope, why not share it with a friend or leave us a review? Until next week, God bless.